Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livius Nedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Good Sex, Great Prayers by Brandon Teets. This is a little bit about Teets. He is the author of Out of Touch and the Christian erotica novel Good Sex, Great Prayers, which we're going to be talking about tonight. His short stories have been widely published, appearing in such print works as Warmed and Bound, Amsterdamned If You Do, Spark Volume 2, and the forthcoming Chuck Palahniuk anthology Burnt Tongues. Teets also serves as a regular contributor for LitReactor.com and lives and works in Kansas City. And he drives a James Patterson, if you remember. I do. It doesn't mention there how much time he spends on Facebook, though. So that's got to be like a second <laughs> job for that guy. He wrote an article about uh, for Manarchy magazine back in the day about uh, what type of person you are based on your Instagram or something like that, or mm-hmm. the types of Instagram women there are. Wait, which yeah. type of Instagram woman were you, just out of curiosity? Um, I don't. The, probably the, the coolest kind. Right. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> the one that posts about food, probably, to be honest. That's that's, that's what I was getting at, but yeah. Okay. Um, Damn it. I'm going to uh, do the synopsis here, which will give uh, Rob time to finish uh, this book. You're, you're hot off the hot off the heels of finishing this, right? Minutes. Minutes. Okay. <laughs> right, I'll give you some time to read the acknowledgments. Here it is. Pratt has fallen upon strange times. Father Johnstone, who's served at the helm for the past 30 years, has begun to lose his flock. He dispenses poor marital advice and indulges in the company of lusting widows, both of which he can hardly remember doing. The pastor has never felt more unlike himself, and Madeline Page, the town's newest resident, believes she knows the reason. What she reveals will compromise everything Father Johnstone has ever known. Meanwhile, two men beyond Pratt's county lines administer their own brand of faith. Billy Burke, the truck stop preacher, tours the Bible Belt, advising blue-collar workers how to properly assault a meth hooker and the best way to protest gay nightclubs. He's destined to meet a man that's been operating out of Las Vegas under many different names, experiment, experimenting on a myriad of escorts using Christian lingerie, pious roleplay, and biblical paraphernalia. Together, they will push the th- threshold, and the town of Pratt will serve as the battleground for when fates clash and lives hang in the balance. I'd just like to say that Rob has been highlighting this passage and then unhighlighting it the whole time <laughs> just to throw me off the entire time. <laughs> so... All right, if, maybe I have. If that was a little a little bullet riddled, I apologize for Rob. Totally my fault. I apologize. I'm a little trickster tonight. All right, so this book, um, Johnstone, right? Like in my Johnstone, head, I kept saying yeah. Johnston or Johnson, I guess. And then yeah. I realized I was starting to read out loud that it's probably Stone. I think in my mind it was like Father Johnston. There you go. You just kind of tapered off. <laughs> After like, the John part. It's like when you don't know how to spell a word and you're handwriting it. You, know, you get like the first three letters, then you just make some <laughs> illegible scribble. After. Wait, least. you handwrite stuff? Yeah, sometimes I have to. Mostly at work. Mm. I don't even remember what that's like. Dude, I use my text messaging for spell check if I don't know how to spell a word. Yeah, I have one of those little swipe things, so I kind of swipe what I think hmm. is close, and it'll usually pull up the right spelling. <laughs> that's actually pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. God damn it, that's fun. That's interesting. All right, so uh, good sex, great prayers. All right, so what do we think about the synopsis? Um, not bad. Not bad. I actually read the synopsis before I read the book this time um, because I'd heard some conflicting uh, or, or heard some conflicting conversation about um, mainly uh, calling it a Christian erotica uh, book. Yeah, let's, you know, I wasn't going to, I have a couple thoughts here, and I wasn't going to go into these until later, but I think now might be a good time. I yeah. didn't read um, the synopsis. So first thing I'm going to say, this is the worst title ever for a book. <laughs> Jokingly or seriously? No, no. I, I mean, the title's fine on its own. I just, I don't know what I expected, but I could tell you that what I read is certainly not what I expected from that title. Yeah, I, I see what you mean for sure. I, I almost expected more of a, and maybe this is because I, I, not that I know Brandon Teets personally, but you know, I'm friends with him on Facebook and I see his post, but I expected kind of this tongue in cheek sexual romp right. with Christians. Yeah. And uh, I actually had the idea to, to try to like crowdsource and ask some people who, who wouldn't know Brandon um, or his work, like, 
hey, if I told you that, you know, I have this book called Good Sex, Great Prayers, what do you think it's about? And have like little sound clips. But then I realized that's a lot of work. So I didn't do it. <laughs> and we pretty much know what they would have said anyway. So Yeah. So, so but um, yeah, Christian erotica. Uh, I mean, some of this will probably come out during the, the course of, of the review. But so, so give me what, what's your take on the Christian erotica thing? I was thinking about this. Um, I'm reminded of when we read Triple X Seamus. Mm-hmm. And what Keaton said, David James Keaton was a guest reviewer, and he said, he was talking about how um, like the expectation almost was that this was going to be glorifying the sex life of this guy. And in reality, like, um, it was not like, uh, it wasn't like a, a fantasy realization type of stuff. It was more like this guy's life was terrible, and a lot of it had to do with the, the sex that happened. And I feel like this book is much more in that, uh, category where the the sex aspects of the book aren't something that's glorified or like a like a fantasy fulfillment for for its readers. It's more like a very negative connotation to all the sex. So calling it erotica seems a little bit misrepresentative. Okay, I uh, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. And and like I said, some of this will probably come out during when we actually talk about the story. But uh, beginning with the very first chapter, um, we have you know an, an, at that who at that point is an unnamed character who is uh, just doing horrible shit to like hookers. <laughs> yeah, it, and, I mean that's the bulk of the sex throughout the book, though. Right. It's so it's really graphic, nasty, bad, bad sex, and it's. It's not sex for the sake of being sex. Do, do you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. think there's... Yeah. I mean, there's a couple times where they talk about people, maybe they'll have sex, or there's a there's a couple that, that's having some sexual problems. There's a couple of couples, I guess, you know, where they, they talk about it. But every sex act, I, I believe, um, in this book is, you know, kind of just foul and, and not sex for the sake of having sex, but there's a yeah. whole nother... There's no very white playing in the background. No, 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 there's not. Any so. of these scenes. <laughs> all right, now that we've got all this negativity out of the way, let's talk about this story. So um, our, our protagonist is Father John Stone, as you may have taken from the uh, from the synopsis, and really the story follows uh, his journey. Um, he's a priest in this town for 30 years, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, you know, kind of small town, uh, you know, he does all the weddings, all the funerals, uh, you know, all of the, the couples counseling and all the other things that coming around, uh, that come about from being a religious figure in the community. Um, things start to go wrong for father Johnstone. He's obviously sick. He's kind of losing, losing time, so to speak, where, where he doesn't remember, um, conversations that he had or, or things he said or, you know, how he got from point A to point B. Um, and, and this is kind of concerning him. And it's all kind of centered around uh, not too long after um, one of our other very prominent, I'd say the, the secondary character or the, the main female character in the book would be Madeline. Um, not long after she arrives in town, her... Um, Coming from Portland uh, after her aunt, who was a resident of the town, died, she came to claim um, the inheritance of her aunt's house and belongings and uh, was charmed by the the town and decided to stick around. And um, it was kind of around the time that she gets to town that that, um, weird things start happening to our our good father, Johnstone. So... um, there's a suspicion at the beginning once you know once this progresses to a certain point that she might have some sort of um, hand in, in what's going on. Yep, uh, a couple other um, kind of main characters. It's interesting what Teets did here because we we follow the the Johnstone Madeline narrative, um, but we get these outtakes from this unnamed character that I mentioned. Um, who's a very central figure in the book, but we see little snippets of him and in his doings with mostly hookers in, in L.A. Or, I'm sorry, in Las Vegas. Yep. Um, and uh, Billy Burke, who's a traveling preacher, and I've got to say <laughs> that I don't think I read one of his little outtakes without just, just laughing out loud. Just goddamn hilarious. Uh, a lot more of what I expected, quite honestly, from from the title. 
was the Billy Burke character. Yeah, just kind of um, at the risk of offending the South. <laughs> like an ignorant redneck guy just spouting nonsense about, you know, uh, people and justifying it in the name of God. Is that a pretty concise way of... Yeah, I, I would okay. say so. Can I, can, I, can I just go ahead and read one of my quotes then? Yeah, absolutely. To, to give you an idea. So everything, I think everything we hear from him, at least throughout most of the book, is, um, is him preaching to, to people. So uh, I'm going to read a fairly long section here. This is from On the Road with Billy Burke, Truck Stop Preacher. There's a gay bar down the street from here. Now what comes to mind when you think of gay bars? I'll tell you. A bunch of sweaty young men rubbing their peckers and fingering each other's shitters. That's what. They're dancing to that crazy techno music and playing grab ass with each other. Kissing on each other. One guy jerking another guy off until he squirts a hot load on his forehead in the bathroom. Lord is my witness. These guys are taking piles of dick butter and using it to style their fucking hair. I've seen it. Punctuated perfectly by the laughter outside of my apartment. I don't know. There you go. That. Well, that's that's some of those people that Billy Burke's talking about. I think right. There's lots of dick butter out there. <laughs> <laughs> now you may be asking yourself, what the hell was old Billy doing in a fag bar? Well, I wasn't sucking on no dicks. I can tell you that. I was scouting, formulating the attack, as it were. Yeah. Good stuff right there. Yeah, a lot of hate coming out of uh, our man Billy Burke. But you know, if you're going to be hateful, at least be funny. And Burke is funny. Yeah, he That's is funny. funny. All right. Um, yeah, so those are almost like vignettes. You'll go through a chapter. Like, and the chapters were, all right, let's, let's boil this down. The actual book is like, what, almost 450 pages? A little more yes. maybe? yes. And the chapters weren't small. I was reading it um, digitally, so actual pages are kind of... But, I mean, we're probably talking 20, 30-page uh, main chapters, right? Um, yeah, for the for the Johnstone Madeline chapters, yeah. Right. And then you got these little interludes or, or vignettes with um, the unnamed dude and Billy Burke are, are probably four or five pages. Mm-hmm. Just kind of interspersed to kind of break it up. Now, a good introduction into kind of the rest of where we're going with this story um, is there was another, a third type of vignette, which was all uh, witchcraft directions from different cultures around the world. Yeah, like ritual. Yeah, rituals. That's or rites yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, yep. those types of things. Um, which was very interesting, and Rob will not have caught this, but my people were prominently featured towards the end of the book, of course. <laughs> Oh really? Yep. In uh, in uh, uh, procedure uh, XL one 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 whatever. What is that? Seventy eight. I, I don't know. Whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's that's my peeps there. Known only by the fact that I speak and apparently read just a little bit of Romanian. Straight up Romanian, huh? Straight up Romanian. They also they also of course probably had one of the worst rituals of everybody. This is not a surprise. Oh, look at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty nasty one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for for people who don't follow world news, it was uh, probably about a year and a half ago that um, the Romanian government decided that they would start taxing um, fortune tellers and witches. And the witches were, like, up in arms about it, so they threatened to, to cast spells on the government. And apparently, and I didn't know this until I read the news article, but the color purple can ward off spells. And God damn it, if the Romanian government didn't all show up on that day, all of them wearing some form of purple to protect themselves from the witches. <laughs> I am so lucky that I'm only as fucked up as I am. That's all I can say. One of them showed up with a copy of a movie con- with uh, Oprah Winfrey. In it. <laughs> Wait, was that... Am I right about that? Yes, yes, right. yes. You read the same article I can see. So. Um, but yeah, so there's, um, I don't know, a dozen of those maybe? Sound about yeah. right. And yep. uh, all of them are about how to, I guess, uh, how to collect the things you might need to cast spells or create some type of almost Wiccan-like magic, I, I guess, the the. The the gist of the story is this, and I will kind of get a little bit into the plot before we cut off for spoilers. But uh, Madeline 
um, is, uh, has come to Pratt and been basically in some way the cause of the town going completely, like, ecologically to shit. So Rob had kind of mentioned that uh, she had a little bit to do with, uh, with Father Johnstone's uh, health demise, um, or at least her appearance did. And what we really have, I mean, at its core, is a faith kind of mingled with, with witchcraft story, right? Yep. Yeah, that's kind of the thrust of it, is that um, uh, our, our main character being a preacher, Madeline being this kind of unknown element, because we're primarily seeing everything from the perspective of the preacher, um, she represents more of a... Uh, yeah, like a magic or witchcraft kind of aspect of reality. Um, and we learn from her perspective how science and faith and, and this magic kind of stuff all balance between each other. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the main... That's That's how everything kind of... Is, is kind of portioned out. So you've got the people like the preacher who are the faith, represent faith, people like Madeline and some other people who represent kind of the witchy stuff. Um, and the book is, I mean, it comes down to your basic good versus evil type situation using these types of, these two different types of people and, um, and, and kind of mixing their specialties together, I guess. Yeah, he does a great job of kind of explaining it in, in such a way that, you know, he says, you know, there, there's, there's, and this is Madeline speaking, but um, that there's science, and then there's faith, and there's this kind of gray area in between. And what she does, although I, you know, the, she, God, I think the only time the witch actually comes up is that the biblical quote of thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Right. But almost like a kind of Wiccan earth magic kind of thing. So there's not, you know, no no broomsticks and, and, and winged monkeys. This is a lot more of like if you have enough of this type of soil to mix with mayonnaise and some like, you know, virgin blood, you can cure an illness kind of magic. Right. Yeah. So there's, a, yeah, there is a lot of, he does actually a lot of explanation of how, um, and then looking at historically how, um, the church or religions in general have reacted to witches and stuff explains, you know, basically because, you know, the, the, the ability to quote unquote cast a spell is, is real. Um, the church fighting against that because it's an unnatural way to, you know, um, it's kind of like a cheat instead of praying for something or, you know, you can just by use of, um, ingredients and, and, you know, casting a spell basically make the same effect on your own without, you know, the intervention of, like, a divine power. A lot more successfully, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> a little bit of jealousy from the church is what I got out of that. Oh, yeah, lots of, and, and, I, and rightfully so, were this, you know, a, a true story. I imagine it's exactly how it would go down. Yeah, so... It's really difficult to explain because there's a lot of mythology and a world that was kind of built to contain this this contrast between the two the two elements of types of powers uh, to be blunt about it um, without explaining a lot of stuff and then wandering directly into, into spoiler territory but the the main gist is is pretty much that we've got um, those types of people and it's like a total good versus evil thing. Yep, absolutely. And that's, I mean, where this book really shines is in, for me at least, in how well Teats was able to put together, um, you know, this whole, you know, like you said, kind of world-building situation where he gave us a history, he gave us very plausible explanations for these things. Obviously, you're going to suspend a little disbelief if you're not already a believer in, you know, Wicca, I guess would be the, the right way to say it, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he does a really good job of, of you know, making this very realistic and, 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 you know, being, you know, so Madeline does this, but then she kind of explains a little bit. And there's one of the quotes that, that I have that, um, that I'll do later that I think will kind of 
be a good example of what I mean about keeping it pretty real and, and giving you know fairly valid reasons why this is the way it is versus you know uh, a story where he could have just said you know what no, this person's just born with that power like there are just you know these this group of people the species of person who's you know who who has this ability um, and the rest of the story I mean kind of takes us through Father John Stone's eyes I mean his learning about this ability um, and him, you know, having to at times deal with his own faith and his own beliefs when confronted with a different reality than what he's he's known and, and believed his whole life. And not just believed his whole life, what he's practiced his whole life. Right, and represented to people as, like, the reality of how the world works and stuff. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how much we can talk more about story, really, without... Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I, there's a couple other things that I, I'd like to talk about though. Um, another, I thought, in, in very, that's what I'm looking for. It's very subdued. It's kind of an undertone in this book, but the concept of pillars, I thought, was done so well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we think about that. We go, oh, so and so is a pillar of the community, but he basically, um, throughout the course of this story, really kind of divides them into almost like camps. Like, there's the sheriff, and he's a pillar of the community, and there's uh, Dr. Keller, who's a fairly prominent supporting role throughout the book. He's another pillar, the priest, very obviously, probably the top pillar in the community. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was kind of really interesting how he dealt with those particular, you know what I'm, what, what the word is for it, kind of that moniker that's given to certain people. Right. But I thought that, and it was very, very, you know, undertone-ish. Um, but really great stuff in there regarding pillars of the community as well as all the weird kind of magic stuff. Yeah, he introduced the idea and then he stayed faithful to it. Like, he didn't just kind of, like, use it as a way to show that the priest was influential in the town. He used it as, like, a structure for um, basically the overall machinations in this and the mentality of a small town and 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 the motivations of why people would choose to do something a certain way and stuff like that so um he used it really as a framework for um how a small town works which i thought was neat yeah it was very very it was cool easy way to kind of explain it to people all right are we done talking about the story then we're done talking about story, but I'm sure there's some things that we need to talk about a little bit more. Okay. Like religion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was thinking about this because um, if, if I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was raised in the absence of religion. So going into a book called Good Sex, Great Prayers, um, and having read the uh, the synopsis and kind of knowing what I was in for... I was thinking to myself, how, you know, how much is, is, is a book that's largely encompassing, like, a person's, like, religious faith? How is that going to resonate with someone who's never believed in a higher power? Um, so, I don't know. I was kind of interested going in. And, and to be honest, a lot of it, I mean, I, could, I can equate a lot of the feelings in the book to things that I've felt myself because I'm not a soulless person but Hmm. I mean the loyalty to a specific like institution that ties to your faith in a specific thing is something that totally fell flat because it's just not something I've ever had in my life so I don't know I was interested like we don't really approach um, heavily religious texts uh, in the books that we read on the podcast so it was kind of a rare um, rare opportunity and um, and some of it I mean most of the time it was fine for me so you atheists out there it'll still ring as true as it needs to but some of the stuff the more like detailed stuff about being in a church or a religion or being a member of a congregation in a small town just was totally lost on me um I uh I, I'm not religious at all myself either um but you know i mean i i get and and i i went to lutheran school through fourth grade so i mean i 
part of that was um, you had church on Wednesdays as part of school, and then you were expected to show up on Sundays like it was a class for church. <clears throat> so I understand it. Um, I, 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 I mean, I shouldn't say that. I don't get the whole religion thing, but I mean, I understand <laughs> how that works and, and you know why people do that and, and stuff. So um, I didn't have much of an issue with it. Um, God, this is probably the most religious book we've read, though, isn't it? Uh, for the podcast, sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really think about that, but um, you know, yeah, it's 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 important because we really see the main character kind of start to question and deal with his own faith in the in the when faced with <laughs> the realization that yeah, it's that's not all there is. So, and then I guess one final note we should go back to uh, how we started this Christian erotica. Um, yeah, I guess I was kind of expecting maybe Fifty Shades of Grey with a priest, maybe uh, the Thornbirds. You know, and and again, the sex in this book is is more almost torture porn than it is sex. And I, and I'm not saying that that in a way that it wasn't important to the story. I, I think it was. So I'm not belittling it, but yeah, that Christian erotica thing, man. I just don't. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, and here's something that I, I was thinking of, too. Um, so the whole witchy side of things, which I can't remember exactly the what the people called themselves. There's a name for the type of person that they were, the, the witchy people. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, um, sex uh, was... This is actually just an interesting thought that I had. Sex was a more prominent part of um, the way that they that they um, interacted with their power and faith and everything. So um, there's a lot of the stuff that the spells and stuff that we saw throughout the book that required seminal fluid or mm-hmm. you know um, you know bodily fluids from a woman and stuff like that. So it was much more sexually oriented for their practices in general. But we really only saw the dark side of that. We never saw the positive, normal side of of that thing, which thinking of it now is a little interesting because, I mean, it's not as if it wasn't addressed at all, but it was very much glossed over. It was more of like when we saw the sex aspect of it, it was kind of the corrupted side of it more than the actual original um, kind of good side of, of that type of a practice. So um, I think that it had the potential to be a more balanced look at sex, like how you could use sex positively in this spellcasting thing, which I can't believe I just said that uh, <laughs> out loud in a realistic way, but uh, um, we really only saw that kind of corrupted negative side of it. Yeah, I didn't think about that either, but you, you make a very valid point there. Because it's not, I mean, it's not intended, if explaining the mythology of that side of it, um, what you read in the book and what we've talked about so far is not the way it's supposed to be. It's a corruption of that. So um, I think that bears um, explaining because, like, if you're like, oh, it's either, you know, chastity and loving Jesus or, like, you know, really nasty sex stuff that's not that's not the way that it's supposed to be well there you go the church of rob has spoken boom i want to be fair (laughs) you ready to do some quotes uh yeah i've only got a couple so why don't you uh i've got a ton of quotes i don't know about a ton but this one's really quick. Portland might as well have been Jupiter as far as the ladies were concerned. I was thinking about that because that was like, I was reading that probably when you were on your way to Portland. <laughs> um, it's a lot like Jupiter from what I hear. From what you hear. Uh, here's, a, here's another uh, uh, Billy Burke passage. I don't care if she's fat. I don't care if she's got a stinky baloney cooter that cheeses right up like old potato salad left out at a barbecue. You fuck your wife. You fuck only your wife. Good Lord, Billy. Billy Burke. That guy. I'd like to hang out with that guy. Um, I got a quick one. That uh, This is just a small town, 
kind of situation and thinking about how word gets around to thing about things and uh, uh, just a quick line it says rumor thickens the air um, which was a really quick and concise way of saying like you can tell when shit's being talked about even if they're trying to not talk about it which I thought was a really it was a really well written line I agree I didn't I don't know if I caught that one but I think I definitely you're right I'm gonna do more Billy Burke I think I'm gonna spend an hour reading Billy Burke stuff here <laughs> Times have changed. As our prayer and faith evolve, so too does the devil. We cannot rewrite the good book. We cannot recite it and remain ignorant to the fact that we live in a different era. We've got internet pornography and female NASCAR drivers. We've got pharmaceutical companies hawking us pecker pills. We've got gays getting married for the first time. We've got straights getting married for the sixth or seventh time. Holy union doesn't mean shit anymore. Billy Berg. That guy. I may not agree with his stuff, but God damn it, it was fun to read. Here's another quick one from um, our unnamed guy. Mm-hmm. The the setup for this is he is trying to uh, understand how religious um, things work. So he's doing a lots of weird experiments with um, religious articles and prostitutes. And uh, th- this particular quote, he has just inserted a crucifix into a woman, and I think I think that's what it is. But anyway, <laughs> the quote from the prostitute is just really quickly: "Is Jesus supposed to be eating me out?" <laughs> and that was like. <laughs> Uh, it was earlier in the book. That's almost like in the first couple chapters, and so that it that was just my way of illustrating that really early on. Um, if you're, you know, devout, it might be a little bit of a tough read. <clears throat> um, this quote is uh, kind of a little bit of what I was talking about, and I think I have another one that I'm going to do after this, uh, just kind of explaining Madeline's spells. If you have the right ingredients, the right components, Madeline says, almost anything is possible. And that's how it's treated. And there's some really good passages in there about how everything is a is a, a, a an ingredient or a component mm-hmm. um, to make to make things. So, certain parts of the brain require certain things: heart rate, breathing, sensation, motor skills. Like anything, though, they can be manipulated. You can plant thoughts or alter the person's personality. You can make them forget how to move. So kind of just a whole thing, like even the parts of our body are just really ingredients, and they're the things at one point she kind of equates it to the preacher's car and how, you know, without a certain part it wouldn't work right, or if you threw something else in, you could, you know, you could screw it up or do something else with it. And I thought that was all just handled really well, and I'm totally not doing it um, justice through these quotes. Just wanted to say that. I really like the explanation, the the equating it to a, a car, because it's such a tangible, even if you're, not good with cars i'm not handy with cars at all but you understand that you know you need x y and z pieces in order to make it work and if you use you know x q and z pieces something's gonna not work properly so uh kudos to him for using that that analogy um for that i got uh let me do i'm gonna do a billy burke how's that sound perfect just a really quick one that I thought was amusing. A um, little life lesson for anybody. This You could take this home. You could use this in your own life. When the devil come at you, I know you boys will do the right thing and punch him right in the fucking pie hole. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. I'm going to, uh, to follow that up with a little longer one. I've already skipped over like three, just in case anybody's keeping track how many of these I'm doing. Let the Lord be the company you keep, not some Puerto Rican escort named Charlo. (laughs) (laughs) It may make all the difference between getting home safe and having sores crop up on your pecker. You know why sores are red, do you? The goddamn devil, that's why. Red is the shade of the beast, and the beast lives in the saliva and cunt of every lot lizard and meth hooker you come across. They're shitters, too. The good book says to be wary of a dirty shitter. I think... I (laughs) think... think that's really late in the bible that that passage there the be wary of a dirty shitter you didn't get that far in your reading no 
It's like got to be like ecclesiastics or something. I don't know. I had a quick one I, I, I threw in just for the actual image that it uh, conjured in my brain. Uh, no real setup necessary. What are you going to do with him? The pastor asks, staring at the sheriff, fondling his gun, still smiling, like he's got an invisible coat hanger stretching his mouth apart. Very nice. Because the image that I had in my head was just so creepy that um, I think I think it was well done. Got one from the a character whose name we have uh, chosen to not mention at all during this episode. Um, and, and this is... Uh, I don't know. At this point, he's working with a priest, um, kind of what Rob was saying, to see what the effects of faith would have on you know objects that he would use to, to make himself better. Yes. The priest says, you're taking it much too literally. Blood continues to leak from the corner of his mouth, the gash in his lip. I sample it, attempting to discern the difference between his blood and that of a normal, non-divine individual. That was interesting. He took it very clinically, a lot of the stuff that he was doing. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, I just got a couple more I'm going to do. Alchemy, which is the knowledge of elements, concentrates on the composition and transformation of different components. Faith is little more than a spiritual form of that. It is an aptitude, a competence to be learned, practiced, and mastered. Biblical texts confirm this much. I've read it. I've even seen it on late-night television clergymen handling members of their flock. By handling, I meant healing. But apparently my Kindle's way too far away from my face for me to see it properly. (laughs) You know who else was good at alchemy? I have no idea where you're going with this. The time pimp. Oh, that's right. Like a bitch. Like a bitch. All right. (laughs) I don't have any other quotes, but I do want to talk about character names. So if you've got any other quotes, let's have. I have a few more. Uh, this one's really great because this is much like all the, the lessons I learned from the time pimp. I learned this one from Madeline. When you know you can buy someone, it's okay to objectify them. <laughs> I've got one I'm not going to attribute to anybody, but it's uh, I, this was probably to me one of the creepiest lines in the book. You and that fucking mouth of yours. I missed it, he says. Does it miss me? And then can I can I talk just a little bit about about how my people were uh, were portrayed in this book? My people, my people. Yes. I'm just going to randomly jump to somewhere in the middle of this. He will lie upon her, also nude, and penetrate the vaginal cavity with divine purpose and a refined sense of will while reciting the prayer of revival, Renashtere. Thorns will also puncture the physical body of the man, and his blood will also soak into the earth and rosebuds, mixing with that of the primary. Upon climax, the subprimary will need to pluck seven of the rosebuds from their stems, stuffing them into the vaginal cavity of the female in order to contain the life seed. And it just goes on and on like that. Can you read that word again? Oh, I can read all the words, I think, that are in Romanian. I should have mentioned that at any point, I'm guessing this is the only time I knew these were actual real words is when I got 74% of the way into the book. But they're, um, renaștere, which means rebirth. Or revival, I guess, would be, is what it says here. Doesn't mean rebirth in Romanian. But yeah, that's when I actually caught on that those words weren't made up and that they were actually from different uh, different languages. Nice. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's a nice touch. I I agree. Um, I've tried three of these already. I've got nothing so far. <laughs> Not getting the desired effect. Nope. <clears throat> uh. Maybe you're not a primary or whatever. Yeah, that's almost certain that I'm not. <laughs> you ready to wrap this bad boy up? No, we got to talk about character names. Oh, let's talk about character names. Did you notice any uh, familiar character names? Um, I did. Um, and I, is this are we, are we talking about the the person who we haven't named yet? No. Okay. The easiest the the easiest one was Old Man Clevenger. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I caught that. I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to ask Brandon Teets if that was named after anybody we might know. All right. Um, another couple? Oh, our unnamed guy actually um, at one point uh, reveals that he's gone under different names in, in the past. And those names include Mr. Thomas, Mr. Ross, and Mr. Smith. So if you think about the first two, Richard Thomas, 
and Caleb Ross mm-hmm. are both acquaintances of, of, of our author, Brandon Teets. So um, between Clevenger, who Teets is also either friends and or a fan of, and uh, this Thomas and Ross thing, I was, I was kind of putting, some, uh, putting two and two together. There you but, go. All I noticed is that we weren't mentioned at all. Well, now hold on a second. This is a stretch, but it was enough to raise an eyebrow because at a certain point in the book, yeah, at a certain point in the book, he's he's describing people who are usually um, members of the church. One's name is Luke Hagen, and then he mentions a guy named Bob Orson. Huh, I totally missed that. And it's O-R-S-O-N. And my name is Rob Olson, O-L-S-O-N. So it's very, very close. <coughs> and he did use your people. So I think we're in there, at least in spirit, if nothing else. All right, fair enough. We were in there. Did we mention this? who, who edited this book? I don't think we did. You and I uh, talked about it a little bit before the show. Yeah, let's do it. So Pelavia, the very talented Pelavia of booked anthology fame of no, no, no. the award-winning booked anthology fame yes absolutely <laughs> um, can i just say that i was at a i was at a meeting the other day and you know that we were supposed to talk you know a little bit about ourselves there's some new you know it's a new group of people none of us are new to the company but we're kind of in a new group and so i get up and i kind of say my name and how long i've i've been with the company and this and that and i go and I host a I host a weekly podcast. You know how hard it was not to say award winning podcast. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't. I just didn't want to be that guy. Be like, and I host an award winning podcast that put out an award winning <laughs> anthology. But I think the next time some asshole makes me do that whole like tell us a little bit about yourselves, I think I'm just going to say award winning before everything. I have a story that. Uh... Um, can I can I share a random story that has nothing to do with anything? When have I ever stopped you from right. doing that? Kind of in a similar situation. I don't like being put on the spot and having to think of something like right off the top of my head. Um, I'm not a participant that way. I like to be nicely prepared. Um, and I was at work one day, and we were doing kind of an icebreaker thing, and you had to go around in a circle and say something, like a good memory that you have that had to do with snow, because it was like winter or the beginning of winter. We had our first snow or something like that, and so it goes around and around and around, and I'm trying to think of something, and it gets to me, and I haven't thought of anything, and they're like, come on, you have to say something, and everybody's looking at me, and I just said, uh, all right, I was, uh, one time I had a snowball fight at the top of a mountain in the middle of summer in Alaska, and everybody was like, oh, <laughs> because my story was way cooler than any of theirs. I would have to agree. An award-winning snowball fight. It was an award-winning snowball fight. And I'm glad I don't work where you work because that was even worse than just tell us something about yourself. Yeah. So. Oh, so anyway, Pelavia, editor of this. <laughs> yeah, and it's. Uh, I, I mean, not to uh, bring into question any of Mister Teets's um, uh, natural abilities, but it's a really tightly put together book. Um, so, I'd like to think that our award-winning editor had some some hand in that. I'm sure she did. All right. Rappers. All right. Yep. You go first. All right. Um, good sex, great prayers. Again, I think my um, two reservations going into this is first, anytime I read something from an author for the first time, and I've read short fiction by Brandon Teets, but I never read like a full, a, a larger uh, a story. Um, you know, reading a first piece by someone is always, you know, a little bit, I get, I get a little nervous because... You know, there's always the possibility that you just might not like what they do. Um, my other reservation was how heavily religious um, I expected the book to be, and how just totally not into religion I am. Uh, that being said, the dude built a really good um, kind of multi-layered mythology um, and stayed nicely faithful to it. Um, uh, it was tight and well written um interesting throughout i think um the main criticisms i would have are kind of the misleading title um and 
and um, the fact that it, it is slow at the beginning, um, there's a lot of, of information that needs to be, um, you know, taken in to, to just kind of know what's going on. And um, so it takes a while. It's not a quick book. Like I said, it's between four and 500 pages. So there's a lot of stuff to go through and a lot of the action picks up from the middle toward the end. So um, you do have to kind of hang tough in the beginning. And that's not to say that it's not interesting. It's an interesting book throughout, but it's definitely the pace is a lot slower at the beginning. Um, but I think that overall the patience is rewarded because it is a good story. Um, it's definitely interesting. Uh, it does uh, it does approach some really taboo scenarios and situations. It stays serious when it needs to be serious. It has the humor um, as well, but it does have an overall um, kind of deeper meaning to it. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty well-crafted book, and aside from the fact that it starts out pretty slowly, and it could have been uh, Good Sex, Great Prayers, is a great title for a book, but I don't think it's the right title for this book. Um, but that's not going to make it any less of an enjoyable read. So overall, um, I dug it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go three and a half stars. <clears throat> I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, had no idea what this book was going to be about, and I uh, was very um, pleasantly surprised. Um, by what I got versus what I thought I might get. Not that I expected it to be bad, but I really liked um, the direction this went in. Again, I was a little misled by the title. Um, and my fear is... My fear is that that title will either turn people off from reading this book um, or disappoint people that were expecting something different from the title. So I think it works against the book in two um, very distinct ways. Um, that being said, uh, it does start off a little slow, and it, it reminded me a lot of Stephen King, both in its pace at the beginning and the whole small town vibe, like laying out these local, you know, legends and and you know, kind of the interaction between Father Johnstone and his flock, and it very much reminded me of a lot of Stephen King work, which is slow. Um, typically the same type of pace slow and then it gets to the middle and it picks up and then it gets like just balls out crazy towards the end Um, but more importantly to me at least I'm going to drop a name that a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with at least not to the tune of Stephen King was Jonathan Carroll and there's uh, there's a part in this book that and when I say a part it's not a specific part but as the plot starts to develop and, and Father Johnstone starts to realize what's going on as Madeline's starting to explain these things. It took this this turn that and it's what I love about Jonathan Carroll books where you know there's like these real normal people and then there's always this kind of slight twist. Um it, it typically into the supernatural, surreal, that type of thing that that changes the whole course of the story. And I think Teets pulled that off very, very well. When you get to that point, you've had some hints at it already. But it's kind of like this revelation, um, and he did it really wonderfully. So, you know, although I think that the story building in the beginning was very Stephen King-like, I think that through the course, you know, the from a good third of the book through the rest of it, there was a lot of Jonathan Carroll there, and I love Jonathan Carroll, and I look forward to reviewing one of his books on the show, which we haven't done yet, but we will, I promise, at some point. Um, I was fascinated by the whole faith slash witchery um, stuff. Another thing that we didn't really talk about was kind of the mystery there. And you may, we may have alluded to a little bit by like not naming a, a, a character because he's not named through a good portion of the book. And you're kind of wondering like, how does Billy Burke tie into this? How does this unnamed character tie into it? And I think he builds a, a good suspense trying to figure out how this is all going to come together. And I was really, really impressed with it overall for some of the same reasons that Rob said. You know, there's this whole world-building thing. There's this uh, this pacing that changes um, throughout the course of the book, which I was okay with and really enjoyed in, in the story. Because it kind of, to me, was like, yeah, yeah, this is boring little Pratt, boring little story, you know, as you're reading it. And then as it starts to get more interesting, as the town becomes more ingrained in what's going on, the book also 
kind of gets more interesting. So I was very, very pleasantly surprised um, with this book. I, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Boom. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time we've had a different uh, rating for a book in like a long time. Yep. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. It's also funny because you and I talked about this before, but man, we don't read a lot of long books anymore, do we? No. And <laughs> I was in, uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about me being an mm-hmm. AWP, but I was in Seattle talking to, oh, no, I was, um, <laughs> this is actually uh, after I'd gotten to the airport, uh, I, sp- I was on the same uh, plane ride as Gina Frangella, who we've mentioned in the po- podcast before. She was in that uh, Sunday Salon reading that we recorded um and we were talking about um having time to read and everything and i you know before the podcast i wouldn't balk at a book that was you know three plus or 400 plus pages and now it's like oh man (laughs) i can't read this in one sitting so it's definitely like a, a luxury to read a longer book now or a chore i guess we're like, oh, 1Q84, yeah, it's like 800 pages, we could do it. Now we're like, oh, man, this book's 450 goddamn pages. <laughs> <coughs> it's ridiculous, but it's true. Yep. All right, let's move on to other stuff. Um, here is a podcast. So Anthony Neil Smith, friend of this show, um, had a heart attack today. He did. Um, I saw that. I think you and I saw that most about the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. He's there's a picture on his Facebook of him in the hospital. Looks like he's doing all right though. Yeah, I mean, whenever you can do selfies, you know that it's it's not uh, it, it's not that bad. So apparently it wasn't that serious, um, but that was a little bit of a shock to read today. As uh, Neil Smith's one of my favorite writers, especially since he said he's doing another uh, Billy Lafitte novel. Before <laughs> that, I was like, eh, all right, you know, but God damn it, there's a fourth Lafitte book in the works, so you can't let this guy go anywhere just yet. So you read that he had a heart attack, and you immediately had your own little heart attack. Yeah, worried I was like, that what you weren't going to get Lafitte. Yeah, exactly. So Here, uh, here's glad. the the status that he posted was okay. Here's the deal: had a heart attack, a little one, but that shit hurt. Back home, relaxing now, etc. Yep. Well, we're glad that uh, Mr. Smith is uh, is okay. Um, so he can, uh, he's going to get a couple days of recovery and get back to writing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's where we're at with that. Um, <laughs> speaking of friends of the podcast, we have a birthday to celebrate, right? Second Adam birthday, uh, this month or within the last month. <laughs> we're not singing happy birthday this <laughs> no, time. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so our second favorite Adam or tied for second, possibly. I don't know where they, the other two rank. Because really, just Adam Gowan is the one that matters, right? Yes. Um, and Adam in Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, it's his, uh, I'm going to call him out, it's got to be his 36th birthday, the day oh. we're recording this, which is March 7th. So, um, happy birthday, Adam. Um, thanks for being such a loyal uh, fan and listener, but also for being a friend of mine for probably now about three decades, now that I think of it. You kids and your birthdays. Yes, happy birthday, Adam. Um, you know, uh, we would have gotten you something, but that seems like a lot of work. Hey, I just had a thought. Yes. So speaking of birthdays, I know that your birthday is Pearl Harbor Day. Yes. You know what my birthday uh, lands on? No. My birthday is October 8th, which uh, is the anniversary of the start of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Really? Yeah. I was trying to think. I was like, is there anything in October? I'm like, I think like Sweetest Day and Halloween, um, but I couldn't come up with anything. It's because the Great Chicago Fire. Well, there you go. So we're both, both of us, born on anniversaries of disaster dates. Of massive disasters. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So together, we are just like one, you know, profound calamity, I guess. Apparently. Wow. Well, there you go. Way to bring down celebrating Adam's birthday. Hey, you know what? I, I He looks good in comparison. I, I was telling Livius actually before the podcast that um, we always got to celebrate Adam's birthday in style because um, in Chicago, we sell uh, the, the school systems in the Chicago and surrounding suburbs. 
um, would always have a holiday for Casimir Pulaski Day, which I'm fairly certain outside of Illinois in general uh, isn't a celebrated holiday that allows you to shut down schools. So we always used to rock uh, Adam's birthday pretty hard because of Casimir Pulaski. I'm trying to picture what that means, rocking hard on, like, a Monday. <laughs> we were eating pierogies. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> God the whole thing. <laughs> All right. So, um, listeners may have noticed that there was a little bit of a time uh, difference between when we normally post episodes. That's because our very own Rob, world traveler that he is, wound up hitting two cities this past week. Rob, tell us something cool from AWP. Uh, I had to sum up AWP for someone at work today, uh, really briefly. So I said, I was at a party with Chuck Palahniuk and, um, I saw, oh man, I forget the guy's name, the Jeopardy champion, Ken Jennings on the street, uh, in Seattle. So those are kind of two big things that I could say really quickly about it. (laughs) But I'd Um, like to go deeper into the Ken Jennings things. Oh, oh, okay, thing. I thought we were going to talk like Stephen Graham Jones, but all right, Ken Jennings. It is. Oh let's, yeah, there is the, <laughs> <laughs> the Ken Jennings thing. Did I tell you this story, Olivia? No, no, no. Uh-uh. I saw know, a Facebook post relating to this uh, this uh, situation, but I, I did not hear any details. <laughs> so we're, um, and this is where life seems surreal because I'm just going to say stuff that sounds crazy, but um, it's uh, I'm in a car with. Uh, Palavia, uh, who's driving, and her sister, and I think um, Jesse Lawrence is the other person that's in the car. Um, and we're just driving down uh, a street near where um, our respective hotels were in downtown Seattle, and Pala just says out of nowhere, is that Ken Jennings walking down the street? And I'm like, who's that? Because <laughs> I had no idea who that was. She explained he was like this big-time uh, Jeopardy champion, and once she said that, I kind of knew who she was talking about. Um, but it wasn't enough for me to really believe it was him. And she was swearing up and down it was him. So we're driving past him and I'm, I probably had just enough drinks in my system to, to make this sound like a good idea. So as we drove past him, I rolled down my window and I just shouted Ken (laughs) over and over again, like probably three or four times. It's just like shouting Ken and, uh, he didn't turn or anything, but later on I saw a picture of him I guarantee it was actually Ken Jennings. I'm thinking that if someone's just shouting a name out of car window four times, everybody is turning to look. Nobody turned. It was pretty late at night, so there weren't a lot of people on the street. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain he's just tired of people yelling Ken at him. Yeah, no kidding. So, that's, so, so that's what you have to say about your AWP trip. <laughs> oh, you're probably talking about the text that I sent you, right? <laughs> yes. At one point... Uh, we, we had gone to a couple, we went to several readings and, and parties and stuff, um, and one of them, Stephen Graham Jones was reading at, and a bunch of poetry um, was, was being read by other people, and I sent a text to Livius, do you have it up? No, no, All I right. don't. Um, essentially, the text said something along the lines of, Stephen Graham Jones is wearing a pasty that Jesse won in a Prince trivia contest. <laughs> So I have a photographic evidence of uh, Stephen, author Stephen Graham Jones, who we love and have talked a lot about on the podcast, um, wearing a pasty over one of his nipples um, that um, our buddy Jesse had won uh, answering Prince trivia. And he actually had wore the pasty um, the entire time he was reading his stories that he was reading there. Can I ask how Prince trivia was a thing in Seattle? I, you know, I don't know. I'm just like curiosity because Prince is no no longer you know quite as big as he used to be. I I I love a lot of Prince's stuff, Um, and and I know that Jesse is from or currently lives in Minnesota, which is where Prince is from. Mm -hmm. I imagine he's a big deal there. I'm just trying to figure out like how that went from there to Seattle. I'm not sure, but I think Stephen was pretty uh, confident in his ability to answer Prince trivia as well, which was uh, something I wasn't aware of. Well, there you go. Not 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 good enough to beat Jesse, though. Apparently, no. Jesse, um, Jesse was disqualified from participating in subsequent rounds, um, but his answer was right for every single trivia question. Wow, very impressive. The dude nailed it. 
<clears throat> All right, so that covers Seattle. You do anything fun in Portland? Um, I did, actually. I met up with um, a couple of different longtime um, friends of the podcast. I, uh, I, I got to uh, meet and have lunch with Nikki Gerlain, uh, who uh, we've interviewed. We've uh, talked about some of her short stories, and she's just an all-around huge promoter of the podcast. Um, we met up and hung out at the Powell's bookstore in uh, Portland, and then we went and had lunch, and uh, she brought me donuts. She's a super awesome person, and uh, and yeah, so uh, that was really nice. We talked a lot about books and publishing and other projects and, and stuff like that. It was a great time. And then, a few hours later, I got to meet another big-time uh, friend of the podcast, uh, uh, friends of the podcast, Todd Brown, and his wife, Denise. We went out and had uh, voodoo donuts. I'm a little envious of your Portland trip, just saying. Yeah. It was great to actually uh, finally meet Todd in person because we, um, you know, we did reviews of a couple of the things, the Midnight Movie Creature feature way, way back, um, which features Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. Uh, we reviewed that ghoul Ava. He was in the booked anthology. So is Nikki Gerlain. Um, so these are people that we've had so much interaction with and just meeting them in person, just, you know, um, you know, it, just, it was just great to be able to do that. I would imagine so. So AWP next year. Yeah. Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minneapolis, yeah. where we'll probably get to hang out with Prince or see him on the street. So you can yell Prince out of car window. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> just see it really. Anybody who's short with an Afro, I'm just gonna be yelling Prince out the window. Right? That's so racist. All right. I guess we should probably move on. What's uh, what's up next for the podcast? Oh, oh, wait. Hold on a second. Can we also say, and, and we don't want to give too much away, but and maybe I should let you frame this since you were kind of the, the go-to guy. The The Seattle trip was actually kind of, uh, it looked like it might be kind of beneficial for Booked, too. Yeah, there was a big networking aspect of, of the Seattle trip that I'd, uh, I didn't um, anticipate. So... I'm just going to run through some of the people, and I'm not going to hit on everybody um, because I'll, I'll forget. Um, but I bumped into a bunch of people that I that I uh, was looking forward to meeting, like Rob Hart from Lit Reactor, and actually Kirk um, Claus, I think his name is. And if I got the name wrong, I apologize. He's the the you know back end kind of web web guy for Lit Reactor, and uh, Dennis Windmere, 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 Dennis. Mm. The big, you met big, him. I did meet him. <laughs> there were so many. I, I kept looking over his shoulder at Chuck Palahniuk. So, um, just kidding. So, got to meet um, all the Lit Reactor people, which was fantastic. Met Rose O'Keefe, uh, J. David Osborne for the first time in person. Um, bumped into Cameron Pierce and Kristen, uh, Kirsten, uh, Aline Pierce as well. Um, Oh man, met Seth Harwood in person, which was awesome. That dude is just so cool. Uh, got to meet Stephen Graham Jones, uh, Mark Jaskowski, who was one of the authors from Warmed and Bound. I uh, got him to, to sign him and Stephen signed my Warmed and Bound. I'm very excited about that. Um, dude, I just there's just endless people that I wasn't expecting to bump into that uh, that I got to meet there, which was really really cool. And um, it ended up, uh, I met a guy named Johnny Shaw who does uh, Blood and Tacos, which is like a crime thing. And uh, um, he said he's been listening to the podcast forever, loves our stuff. He's friends with Jedediah Ayers and stuff. So I met um, Nick Mamatas, which was a guy, a name that's been, been thrown a lot uh, around a lot lately, especially by Nikki Gerling. So um, it was just like a nonstop networking thing, and I wasn't really thinking of it. Uh, a couple of people I missed, I was pissed about, was uh, didn't bump into Rob Robert's like I was hoping to, or Gina Frangello, even though I flew on a plane with her and we split a cab home in Chicago. Um, just tons of people everywhere. Um, the the time that I'm going, thinking I'm not going to, to, to network, I'm just going to kind of socialize, is the time that I bump into all these different awesome people and, and all these opportunities are getting thrown at me, so... Um, people are saying oh you know we should we should meet up you know we should uh co coordinate on, with this collaborate about this this is what i've been up to and um a really really interesting and exciting opportunity are you laughing at me no did it sound that way i was trying oh. to crack my knuckle on my hand <laughs> that i fell on in the driveway <laughs> Sorry. um this is rough um 
yeah, a really, really exciting opportunity um, came up that I'm not going to talk about now because uh, until anything happens, we won't really have anything to say about it. But uh, let's just say that there's some interesting uh, possibilities for the future of the podcast that um, that we're both really excited about. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about that more in the uh, the near future. But for now, just know that like there are so many names on my list that previously weren't and so many faces and you know everything that I of people I met was really really great so hopefully we'll build off of that and bring a lot more cool stuff to the podcast because of it what Rob's trying to say is we're going to see who we can take advantage of to further our own agenda um yeah (laughs) that's how I break it down (laughs) I mean um, if you want like that's the reader's digest version like the (laughs) um yeah. So See, speaking of it's th- exactly, if this was if this was flipped, I'd be like, yeah, I was there. I think I got some people who are gonna do some shit for us. So that would have been my whole my whole like your networking <laughs> speech. Would have been like, I wanted to give props because it was so exciting. Oh to meet no, I I all agree. These cool people. Yeah. Yes, I was very envious as I'd see pictures of Rob with people and be like, God damn it, Rob! Why aren't you sitting yeah. in a hotel room somewhere reading a book? Yeah, but um. Next week's episode, kind of exciting, huh? Yeah, next week we're going to be reading um, well, the first in a trilogy um, by author Jeff Vandermeer, and it's a book called Annihilation. This is a little bit out of our comfort zone, um, contextually speaking, I think, right? Kind of a little, maybe borderline sci-fi? It appears to be a little bit on the sci-fi side, or maybe like some, uh, one of the words I hate, maybe possibly a little magical realism-ish. Oh, you sounded just like Richard Thomas. <laughs> so, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, I have to give a little shout out and thank you to um, Nikki Gerlain because the the print copy that I have, she actually bought and gave to me as a gift while I was in Portland. So I really want to thank her for that, and for um, and it's probably her entirely her doing that we're going to be reviewing this the next podcast episode. Very cool. Well, thank you to Nikki Gerlane, and thank you to all of the people that are giving booked further uh, opportunity to advance our world takeover. Um, thanks for to you, the listeners. Oh, and thanks to Todd Brown, who, speaking of giving me books, <laughs> did I tell you? I told you this, right, Livia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me count. Todd, when I was up there, Todd and Denise. I'm going to include Denise because they, you know, run the business together. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, they gave me eight books, which actually bumped me up and made my luggage uh, a little more, a little too heavy, and I had to pay extra to fly home with it. So <laughs> the books weren't as free as you might have thought, so, Todd W. So, Brown. So thanks a lot, the Browns. You son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. um, but an entire signed um, uh, series of the uh, Todd Brown's Dead uh, series of books. And very. the second That Ghoul Ava book. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, um, all right. I oh, yeah. And um, I met Patrick Wensink, too. I got to meet him. There you go. Broken if you Pam listen Pam. after the closing music, there will probably be a whole list of other people that Rob cuts in that he forgot. Ten other and people. And I'm like, oh, wait. There's this person, <laughs> and there's that person. And That's right. Um, all right. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Book to Come Back in... I don't know, like six or seven days, Annihilation, Jeff Vandermeer, and uh, who knows what else. Maybe maybe by then, maybe by then, we'll have an announcement for you guys. Maybe. We'll see. That would be excellent. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Yeah.